Welcome to the Directions Mag Geo-Inspirations podcast series with Joseph Kursky. Greetings, folks. Joseph Kursky here. Welcome to Geo-Inspirations. I'm here with two of my all-time favorite people, Ishu and Ashok Wadwani. Welcome, folks. Thank Thank you. Good to hear your voices today. How are things? Things are good. Good morning, Joseph. Uh, Thank you for inviting us. And we are looking forward to it. Good morning, Joseph. Joseph, we are very happy to participate in this audio talk, and hopefully, it will inspire some future geospecial folks to um, do some more for this industry. Oh, absolutely! Uh, it's a huge honor to have you both on. I think most people in the geospatial community actually know who you are, but just. Just for those that might not know who you are, if you could describe what you've been up to these past decades in geospatial and uh, how you got to do the things that you were able to accomplish. So let me start first, Joseph. I graduated with a master's degree in physics from the University of Lucknow, India in 1963. And I began my professional career as an instrumentation engineer working on process control instrumentation. In 1970, Ishu and I migrated to the U.S. with just $100 each and two suitcases and a heart full of hope, expectations, and prayers (laughs) to fulfill our dreams. (laughs) Indeed. This was a land of opportunity, as everybody told us, so we ended up here in Chicago. And we were both lucky to have found jobs within a few weeks of our arrival. Uh, I worked for companies in Chicago and Kalamazoo, Michigan. And during our stay in Chicago, I also obtained my Master of Management degree from Northwestern University. In 1980, the company I worked for moved me to Houston, the city we love and where we plan to retire. In 1984, we started a company specializing in field data collection and we were offering portable data collection systems to collect data such as temperature, pressure, flow, conductivity, pH, etc., to clients in various industries, which included petrochemicals, forestry, agriculture, utilities, etc. We were essentially customer-driven and assisted them with obtaining sensors for unique applications. Then in 1995, we started a new company, Applied Field Data Systems, and specializing in field data collection, including location data, and visualizing and analyzing in GIS. After working for 56 years continuously, we closed AFDS last December, sort of retired, and why I say sort of, I am so passionate about this geospatial technology, that I want to continue to remain in the loop. Thus, I am pursuing few consulting projects related to geospatial technologies. In the past, uh, I have been uh, educational and um, uh, chair for the American Petroleum Survey Group. Uh, I have been educational chairman and chair of the GITA. Uh, I'm still on the GIS Advisory Committee at the Lone Star College, as well as Houston Community College. Uh, I'm the current chair, uh, assisting them in their GIS curriculum even now. So that is my pa- background, and I'll let Ishu explain her side of things now. Thanks. Well, uh, Joseph, when 
I came into this arena, I had no background on technology. My professional journey began with working for pharmaceutical companies, hospital corporations, outpatient surgical centers. In 1984, when Ashok began our first company from our bedroom, uh, to our pleasant surprise, <laughs> the business grew quickly so that he either had to hire somebody or the other alternative was that I join him. You know us for a long time, Joseph, right? Mm -hmm. and, I think, and I think you'll know when I make this statement that we did not know how this husband and wife team would work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, decided to give it a go. Guess what? The team worked. And since then, we have been in business together. And the rest is history. <laughs> so, oh. uh, <laughs> mm -hmm. as uh, Ashok mentioned in the 80s, GPS and GIS was not that well known and barely emerging. So we have really learned about this technology on the job. The products and services that we have incorporated into our systems, solutions, and services have been customer driven. We always stayed on the leading edge of technology with a focus on improving our clients' productivity and revenues cost-effective solutions. I retired also as of December 31st, 2018, as the owner and vice president sales and marketing for Applied Field Data Systems. So basically, we've been in business for 35 years and in the GPS GIS arena for the last 25 years. So since the very beginning, when this technology began to evolve. So that's my background uh, on this, uh, you know, on myself. That's very impressive, folks. I mean, I knew some of the story, but it's just great to sort of hear the, you know, your journey in its entirety. And when you think about the, gosh, the, the societal changes, the technological changes since, you know, the 1980s in the geospatial field, it's just mind-boggling to, to, to grasp all that, all that you've seen over that time. What's, what's been one of the um, most exciting parts of, of that on the technology side now, for, for starters, what was, the, what was one of the most exciting breakthroughs in the geospatial technology field that, that directly impacted your, your business? So Joseph, let me describe to you an event or an incident which happened in the early 80s. And I don't think I've shared this with you, so you'd be probably very interested to know what happened. So we were supplying uh, with the previous company, electronic notebooks. And for folks who are trying to connect a notebook of those days in 80s versus a notebook of today, mm -hmm. please bear with me because that's a totally different notebook. It used to be a um, HP reverse Polish language operating system, portable handheld data collector. And that was termed those days electronic notebook. Mm -hmm. Anyway, we had sold several of those to the Forest Service based in Pineville, Louisiana. And they were very happy using them. And the entomologist there was using this to count bugs on the trees in the forest. So one day he called me and asked me if I knew anything about GPS. 
I had no clue and told him so. And then he explained to me that GPS provided location information and he felt it would be very good information for him to have while he was counting bucks so that he can use that for future navigation and analysis. Well, this customer wanted to find out if he could connect and interface the GPS unit with our notebook and make it work. I told him I have no clue, and if he can send me the unit uh, to Houston, I'll be happy to test it for him. And the other side, I heard only laughter, and no response. So I asked him second time, and same thing. The guy was just laughing. And finally, he said, well, don't worry about it. I'll just drive from Pineville to Houston to your office next week, and I'll bring the unit. I said, great. Mm -hmm. So following week, he showed up in my office, and when I uh, saw him, I said, where's the unit? He started laughing. He said, well, you better come down and come to my pickup truck. I said, okay. So we walked down, and what do I see? I see a huge batteries, antenna hanging out from the pickup truck, and a huge console, and he says, that GPS. And I said, now I know why you were laughing when I asked you to ship it. <laughs> so... He said, okay, here's the monster. What do you want to do with this? I said, well, let's try it. So we took the RS-232 cable and connected the GPS output uh, to our electronic notebook. And after a few attempts, it worked like a charm. And we suddenly had an entirely new market. I had no clue till that day what GPS was. And here we go, just in a flash, the whole thing worked. And now we had a now we had a potentially a huge application with immense markets. We could tie up a location information with some attribute data. And this guy was so thrilled, he just ordered units. And then, and this used to be a Trimble unit he bought, and he bought Trimbles from Trimble directly, but he bought a lot of notebooks from us because he was so happy that we can now tie the location with the attribute data. So once we were happy with this setup, we started looking at other options and we added several other sensors, you know, to work with the location data, could be temperature, humidity, wind speed, solar radiation, and lots of different sensors. And we had created a new system, I called it the 3W system. And Ws are where and when, which is provided by GPS, and the third W is what? provided by the attribute data. So GPS technology by itself is a great technology, but when you combine that with the external sensor for attribute data, the importance of GPS location magnifies. So mm -hmm. about this time, GIS was emerging as an analytical tool and combination of G GPS attribute data being visualized and analyzed in GIS became the buzz in the industry a new tool had become available for people to make important decisions. And after this combination of uh, GPS with external sensor and GIS, we started looking into other applications in various markets. And there was no looking back. I mean, we were forced in a way in GPS business by a customer request. So that was my most important event to have driven me to this market. Mm-hmm. I love that story. Yeah. You know, it kind of reminds me of uh, when I was at the USGS, and this has been oh. like 1993-ish, maybe 92. Right. This is just a tiny fraction of what you're talking about, but we were doing some, you know, traditional surveying uh, with level rods and so on. And then one day we had a big van, and in the back of the van was a GPS. 
and it took up the back of the van. It's kind of like what you're saying. And then I thought to myself, wouldn't it be great someday if we could actually hold one of these in our hand? (laughs) And then I thought, it's going to be years before that happens. Well, it was, I think, two years later, 1995, when I actually, I might have bought it from you all, my first handheld Garmin recreational gray GPS. So it just shows you yeah. the rapid advance of this when we think, at least I thought, right. oh, it's going to be a long time before this actually makes it into the, the consumers, the regular, you know, folks space. And it wasn't that long. <laughs> Very interesting. Right. Joseph, there was also, um, you know, in, in the history of our business, another event, which, uh, you know, show can have you both handling, but this was one of my customers and this was a petrochemical customer. And that kind of uh, drove us also to the geospatial arena. So uh, just to give you a little bit of a background, in the 1990s, uh, EPA had introduced the Clean Air Amendment Act, which made it mandatory for facilities to estimate and control fugitive emissions estimates. The EPA uh, developed a series of national emission standards for hazardous air pollutants, uh, basically called NESHAPs. So NESHAPs included the leak detection and repair program to detect, estimate, and reduce fugitive emissions from valves, flanges, seals, fittings, etc. Basically, this was called LDAR, uh, you know, in uh, an acronym for it. Uh, mm-hmm. So the amount of data that the EPA required during their audits was huge. And the industries at that time, they were absolutely confounded as to how they would collect this data and implement a process for their LDAR program. So, uh, We were approached for this by one of our petrochemical, like I told you, customers to interface a hydrocarbon analyzer to collect data on fugitive emissions, which was mandated by US EPA. So we successfully developed a total package, you know, which included the analyzer, the data collector, as well as the field data collection software. And we put this into a package to collect this fugitive emissions data uh, with location information if required. So uh, uh, this was really uh, uh, very proud of this too, because uh, we were the only company who was supplying this whole package. And as you know, I mentioned to you that this was a petrochemical uh, company, right? So when you're going into these plants, you have to have that whole package intrinsically approved. And so uh, our company was the first company that got this whole package intrinsically approved, including the cables that connected from the analyzer to the data collector. And because you couldn't enter a field, you know, you couldn't enter a plant without, they wouldn't allow you to do that unless it was intrinsically approved. So we were the only ones that had that whole package done so that they could get this information 
uh, and supply to EPA. And I mean, this was, uh, uh, was absolutely amazing. All the Fortune 500 companies basically had our system, um, uh, you know, all over the world actually. And, uh, uh, you know, with this information, we were also uh, given a grant by the US EPA to demonstrate the system to various regulatory agencies in India who were battling uh, immense air quality problems. And uh, uh, so in fact, Ashok and I, we spent some time in India uh, demonstrating this uh, whole package uh, also. So those, uh, that was also one of the major events that kind of introduced us to the uh, geospatial arena. Yeah, Joseph, can I add to yeah, that please. for the audience, uh, the word intrinsic um, safe for a lot of people who don't know. What it entails is that in a refinery, there's a lot of explosive uh, chemicals. And the mm -hmm. regulation says, safety regulation says that you cannot bring in a electronic equipment with a battery in it, which may cause um, a flash or a spark and cause the plant to explode. So every electronic device which uh, is used in petrochemical industry or pharmaceutical uh, has to use a device which has been certified by underwriter's lab or something similar to say that we certified that the battery inside this unit is uh, correctly placed or securely fastened or protected with fuses that it won't cause an explosion even if it falls from 10 feet. So it's a very difficult to process, takes about six months to uh, get it approved. And the EPA or the underwriter's lab want 10 or 15 units to test them. They throw them, break them to see if by any chance a accidental spark doesn't come out. Mm -hmm. So it's a difficult approval to get, but we were able to get. So I want to tell the audience that this is what intrinsic safety means, basically. Yeah, and it also speaks to your notes about being tenacious. Uh, also, what I love is you're, you're talking about the technological uh, changes that have, that have happened over the decades, but also um, these regulations that a lot of people maybe weren't aware of. But I'm also interested in how you made that business work, you know, as spouses. Uh, so, you know, they, oftentimes you read uh, books about, you know, if you're able to hang wallpaper together as, uh, you know, spouses, then that's the true test of a marriage. But <laughs> you guys have taken that to, uh, you know, a thousand fold because you've actually operated a successful business together. What was that? What, what was that like? I mean, you both had strengths to bring to it. You both had your own backgrounds to bring to it. How, how did that dynamic work? Any, any tips for the readers and the listeners here? Well, um, let me begin by telling you, Joseph, that this year, Ashok and I, we will be celebrating our 50th wedding anniversary. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and as I started by telling you um, so many years ago, we didn't know how this husband and wife team in the business was going to work because uh, both of us, we are... Uh, we're pretty strong, we are very opinionated, and we have uh, our own way of doing things, okay? And, uh, but I'll tell you, Ashok is one of the persons that I have met 
who probably the only male that I have met, uh, who is absolutely not chauvinistic. We took a very practical approach on this, or I should say he took a very practical approach on it. Uh, before I joined the show, because I told you I was working for a hospital corporation, um, had, uh, you know, had a very good job, etc. And uh, it was a big decision for me whether I should be leaving that and joining, uh, you know, a show. But he just sat down and he said, look, uh, uh, this is the way we're going to work it. This is going to be, this is what I will be working on, or my part in the business. And this is what you would be working on. This would be your territory. This would be my territory. And uh, obviously, there would be some kind of an overlap. But uh, the final decision, if it falls under your territory, we will follow what your decision would be. And, uh, you know, we, we kept up with that. Uh, and we res both respected that. We may not agree with it. We both respected that. Uh, and of course, being, uh, we were so focused on the business. And uh, as I told you, uh, or as Ashok told you, we came with just $100 in our pocket, okay? So um, uh, it was also a, a matter of survival. We were very focused on that, right? Uh, so we didn't have this luxury of, you know, too many time or spent wasting time on arguments or something like that. It was survival. And we focused on that. We learned how to compromise. Uh, and as uh, and I thought Ashok had a really good approach by saying, okay, you know, we will, if it falls into your territory, we'll respect your decision. If it falls under my territory, we will respect my decision. And I can tell you one thing else, and that is, um, when Ashok and I, we were both in a foul mood, uh, in the office, we, it was a common ground, and we worked together to focus on the business. Now, I may not have talked to him after five o'clock in the evening when we came home, because I was still mad at him, but at least in the office, <laughs> you know, we were, we were very professional, and we took care of business. And I think by uh, and I think we do that even now. Uh, we, uh, uh, you know, following that, following those principles that I just mentioned, that we we kept focused on the business, the success of the business. Uh, uh, I think that's what's made it uh, successful. I think. Chuck, any comments on that? Yeah, I think I agree 100% with the issue. I think the, the we were really uh, business driven, so. Uh, personal life was not at all a factor while we were at work. Uh, we totally separated the two things, and business was business. And um, uh, again, you know, as Ishu said, we had different territories. She decided on her customers, and I made decisions regarding my customers. And we had mutual respect. We accepted the decision and moved on. So. Yes, it's a tough choice initially, tough decision, but I think you have to work like anything else towards it. And so no, look, no looking back. It worked out fine. Your success is a, a real testimony and the fact that you're, you're still smiling and laughing and, and, <laughs> and uh, good partners and colleagues, that's, um, uh, that's really inspiring. A lot of people that, uh, 
you know, want to break into the geospatial industry, I think are going to be uh, inspired by this, that they want to start their own business consulting firm. They don't know how to get going. It's really interesting to see how you've woven this together over the years. Also, for the interest of the uh, listeners, I actually met you two because I think in, in large part because of your interest in education. So that overlapped with my own area of interest. Can you describe how you got that, all the wonderful outreach? I mean, we taught together in Costa Rica. We've, we've done numerous workshops together over the years uh, in numerous countries. And it's just been inspiring working with you and to see the passion that you have in helping elementary, primary, secondary, community college, technical college, university, lifelong learners to get into why this all matters. And so can you talk about how you got interested in the educational side of geospatial, but also how you were able to make that work in the context of your business? Yeah, this is a tough question. How we got, how I or both of us got uh interested in assisting students i i just don't have a good uh, answer except to say maybe it's it's coming from um, genes my mother was a college teacher and uh, my dad of course was uh, you know in the service but then when he retired both my mother and father were uh, i mean they had a house in a city called pune in india and they used to teach all the poor kids. They used to come in the morning and my mother taught them biology, science, chemistry, and my father taught them, uh, you know, German language if they were interested and then mathematics. So, I mean, they loved that as a passion and they continued that, um, you know, and they were used to teach the elementary kids, the high school kids, and even college kids came to my mom to learn chemistry. So I think it's the family. I don't know how it came to us, but I guess it's like genes, I suppose. And then, when we came here, we always wanted to help um, the underprivileged. So uh, that was one way we went, or at least I went to the local schools, which were in the poorer neighborhoods, and just support the kids, mentoring them, networking with them, and uh, sort of teaching them GPS or geospatial technology. And I think that grew, that grew on me. And then, uh, you know, as I've said to a lot of people uh, in, during our business time, a uh, lot of time, maybe 50% of my time, even in the best years of our business, was spent volunteering. And people laugh at me saying, you wasted so much time and money on this. I don't think it was a wasted time. I think it was a great uh, uh, occasion for me to help others. So uh, I don't regret that decision, but I can easily say that almost 50% time during the business I spent in volunteering without any benefit per se, which people laugh at me still today, and uh, so I, I feel proud of that. I have no regrets. I think I did it right and I enjoyed it. In fact, uh, I can take the other part of your question, uh, Joseph, as to how we uh, uh, took education and made that as part of our business. We were fortunate enough to, uh, let me talk about, I think it would be relevant if I talk about this particular project and then how it kind of, uh, uh, to answer your question about how we helped with the education uh, of students and things of that nature. So um, this was a multi-million dollar project with a large utility, which we took care of for 12 years. 
uh, we provided uh, data management and application development services within the ESRI platform. And this was managed by uh, on-site uh, uh, and offshore business uh, model. Uh, I'd like to describe the project a little bit uh, and so that again, uh, tell you uh, how we trained, uh, you know, the students, et cetera, for this project. So I think it is pertinent if I describe the project a little bit. So what we did on this project was we posted uh, mains and services lines and uh, this was based on as-built information and updating information, uh, you know, pertaining to replacement, repair, installation, uh, abandonment of gas services, et cetera. We also posted and updated electric facilities in GIS, uh, which included underground residential uh, distribution, additions or removals, changes in electric uh, facility capacity, uh, posting of streetlights, uh, we also did land-based work for them, which is posting of plats, replats, subdivisions, road alignments, street name changes. Uh, also did uh, spatial uh, data adjustment or uh, warping of existing land base uh, with reference to uh, different data sources like images, shape files, vector files, aerials, things like that. Um, uh, we uh, also uh, uh, did uh, software uh, application support for work order management and uh, customized tools uh, for ArcGIS and ArcFM. Uh, I'm very proud of this project, uh, you know, for the following uh, reasons. And the most important reason is that since our business model was an on-site offshore model. Uh, Ashok and I saw this as a great opportunity to give back to the GIS community. We made it a mission statement uh, for our company that, uh, you know, for our on-site staff, we would hire students as interns who had either just completed their GIS courses or still continued with their various ESRI education. Now these interns, they came from various colleges like ACC or Lone Star who offered you know, GIS classes. We told them we were willing to put in the time to train them as well as we paid them a salary and other benefits like medical insurance, etc. We also offered flex hours so that they could continue with their present studies. Another thing that we did, which I think probably we're the only company that kind of did it at that time or did it, is that we put them on real life projects, not just practice projects. This would allow them to grow their capabilities and understand their field in a real world environment. They had an opportunity to learn a particular facet and become an expert at it. They also had the exposure to all aspects of the projects. This kept assignments interesting, challenging, and also helped grow their capability. We also gave an opportunity 
to the interns to rotate and experience each aspect of the project. This, I felt, served two purposes. They took ownership of the project, which taught them the pressures of deadlines. And two, if project had, was successful, they got the pleasure of receiving credit for it. And if there were issues with the project, they would need to solve the issue, do some problem solving, since they had ownership of the project. Ownership of the project, I felt, also allowed them to interface directly with the client as well as our offshore partners, thus enhancing their communication skills as well as building their confidence. The client had also wanted us to write and maintain technical manuals on digitizing standards for various jurisdictions that we handled. You know, we handled for, like, say, Arkansas, Minnesota, or North, South Louisiana, etc. Now, each state has different posting standards. So we had to educate ourselves as to what the posting standards were for each particular state. We trained our interns to research this, and they actually wrote technical manuals, of course, I supervised all of that. Uh, and uh, they were trained to write as well as maintain them because these standards changed frequently and they updated these manuals. Mm -hmm. uh, our interns were also trained to give PowerPoint presentation to the clients. They were also part of train the trainer program. We also train them on interpersonal skills required in a corporate environment. They were exposed to the latest technologies, attended meetings, etc. We uh, also, uh, you know, as I told you, we had an offshore, uh, offshore aspect to this too, because I mean, we were handling millions of records. So we had offshore partners who did this. Now, these guys also came uh, here to help us out. And we also trained them and educated them in communication and, interpe and interpersonal skills. So Joseph, our proudest moment has been when our interns were recognized as subject matter experts by our clients and received good job offers from our clients. In fact, the stories and reputation of the AFDS interns became so well-known that jobs were almost guaranteed if they interned with our company. Some of our offshore personnel and interns are holding managerial positions with our clients. This has been, I would say, even more monetarily. Of course, monetarily is important. But honestly, Joseph, this has been the most rewarding experience in my professional career, where I had the opportunity to train, groom, what I would say would, you know, the future GIS professional. Mm -hmm. so. I, I love it. And, you know, you folks have been giving so much to the educational community over the years. I love that whole, well, several things of what you're saying. I it truly resonates uh, customer fo focusing on customer success, making them successful seems like one of the keys to your success. Also, also giving back to the community, letting those interns have real projects and letting them fly. All this is great. Here's what I'm wondering. Also, 
what is your, given your wisdom in, and experience in the field, what do you think we need to work on going forward in the geography, field science, geospatial community, in, in the, in the, especially as we look forward to the coming decade? What do you think we need to be working on as a community? Well, Joseph, uh, I will probably say a few lines, and I think I have struggled with this for the last 20, 25 years, and I, I think I've told you this. I still like to see GIS, GIS needs to be a mandatory subject for high school level. And I know you guys have always pushed it, and I have pushed it, but as I said, I'm disappointed that it has never succeeded. Mm -hmm. uh, but I know each state is different. Uh, I know Texas has been a tough uh, customer, but I don't know nationally what other states are doing, but we have had a lot of uh, uh, frustrating situations uh, that uh, you know we have not been able to convince uh, the educational association or whatever the state legislature is to include this um, uh, GIS as a mandatory subject in high school level. And, you know, uh, it's like uh, the word I use, I've heard this somewhere, uh, the bottom line is we need to change attitudes towards latitudes, you know. And uh, <laughs> it, I think it's the education of general population. A lot of parents don't know what GIS is or what the potential is. And uh, as I said, I have struggled this for so many years and I still keep pushing. That is the ignorance of the parents probably that is uh, in a way dragging us down on this thing. If the parents were convinced that this uh, field where there's enough opportunities, uh, I think um, they will support it. But at least so far it hasn't, and I wish and hope someday uh, that this will happen. And I know you agree with that, but I don't know in general where the national um, uh, national sort of thinking is on this subject. You probably know more than I know because I'm only involved with Texas more than anything else, you know. Well, uh, before I turn it over to issue here, just let me uh, interject to respond to that. We are, and I know you are, um, will continue to work together to nudge the needle forward in GIS in uh, primary and secondary education globally. I think that, right. um, you know, while, yeah, there are some significant challenges, as you mentioned, there are some very good, uh, hopeful things that are happening. Part of it's technological, you know, the whole advent of the web and opening it up to the browser. So I can do some analysis, I can bring in data, I can create my own data. Um, and and do some some work in a variety of different fields history geography computer science etc um, with very low technological barriers I mean much lower than in the past where you know you had to install it in a lab and so on so that's helped a great deal um, right in terms of teaching with GIS it has has had some significant advancements around the world teaching GIS per se or geospatial technology yeah there's still more of more of a challenge there I think one of the reasons for hope there though is that with the uh, sort of the joining of the communities of CAD BIM GIS uh, we will start to see more tools that you can use in say a high school lab where or a high school situation where they are designing cities they're using city engine they're using ArcGIS online it, it, other tools to actually do some designing and some coding so getting it into computer science so there's there's some reasons for hope but you're right we've got a we've got a big challenge ahead of us but uh, uh, I'm glad you're still interested and enthused about nudging the needle forward the issue what would you say we need to be working on here in the next decade 
I think that there, right now, that there is a very limited emphasis on the subject of ethics in GIS. I think there needs to be emphasis on credibility of data and ethics in the workplace. You know, uh, mm -hmm. I, I, I think really, even in the GIS classes, etc., cetera, uh, that subject definitely needs to be talked about, credibility of data and ethics. I think there should be better QAQC of data and processes should be implemented for better QAQC of data, uh, you know, uh, in, in, in the corporate environment. Uh, besides that, I also feel, besides the technical skills that the students receive, they need to be also trained on how to behave in a corporate environment, interpersonal and communication mm -hmm. skills, which I found, which I find uh, greatly lacking. And I can say that with a lot of experience, because as I told you, our mission statement was to hire interns. They came to me totally, totally green and ignorant, of course. And that was my challenge when after a couple of months, okay, when I saw how they bloomed and how they progressed, I think the employers have to take the time to train them, you know, as well as, you know, the, the educators. They have to take the time to familiarize them uh, with what a corporate environment is, you know. And another emphasis, I think, besides that is that uh, that should be given to is on the subject of building relationships and creating trust and credibility with your co-workers, managers, and clients. I can give you an example, you know, coming back to the, you know, coming back to this project, okay? Uh, I mean, it just totally, I, I believe in it even more, uh, you know, for this utility company, we, were, we had worked on a very small project, okay? Then this huge project came, and I was absolutely surprised and amazed that this project was given to us. You know, we, when we got this project, we really felt proud that the client had considered us and had full faith and confidence in us that we could handle this project, okay? And there were two reasons for this project to be successful. One was the relationship that we had built with the client, okay? I mean, the client had full trust and confidence in us. The second thing on the client's part, okay, was that, they worked together with us. They took some responsibility for it, okay? The main thing was that it was a team effort. The client listened. And if mistakes happened, which they did, together we took ownership instead of playing the blame game and wasting time and spent the time in solving the problem and came up with a solution. All of this, can only happen when you build a relationship, when you build trust. And I don't think enough emphasis 
is given to that aspect in a business environment. It could be any business. There are just so many kernels of wisdom that you two are sharing here. I've read some articles recently about uh, the way that people are regarding uh, companies these days and, you know, brand loyalty, uh, just loyalty in general to companies that um, it, a lot of it has to do with exactly what you're talking about, building that trust and uh, credibility. It's not something to be taken lightly. And years from now, we probably won't remember exactly what products and services we're actually purchasing or leasing from that company, but we'll remember the relationships that we had with them. So I love what you two are saying. Uh, and on the data quality piece, yes, I agree with you. And that's exactly why I wrote that public domain data book and why my colleague and I write that spatial reserves blog. And that is nowadays, because it's in part so easy to grab, you know, data set A, data set B, you know, in the past, it was clunky to get that all in the right projection, right? And being able to get it into the point where you could do your analysis. Now it's, it's so easy to grab things and it's so tempting, but we don't oftentimes stop to think, where did that data come from? Can I trust it? Uh, who created it? How, when was it updated? So I agree with you. Instilling in students and in the, uh, the industry in general that you really need to know your data now more than ever before because it's a wide, wonderful world of data out there. We have more data now, right, than we've ever had. But there's a lot of data that is undocumented. And it doesn't have metadata, et cetera, et cetera. I love what you folks are saying. You know, we're running out of time, sadly, but let me ask you this. You know, given the transitions that you folks are in, and you've been in for the whole, your whole career, but now, okay, one of the things I was wondering was, did you sell your business and did someone buy it? And then number two, what's, what's next for you folks? I know you're lifelong learners. You're, you're exemplifying that here in the interview. What projects are you going to embark on now? And what happened with applied field data systems? Okay, let me answer that. First of all, no, we did not sell the business. We closed the business. We had a lot of offers uh, from larger companies to buy us out. Okay. But uh, for whatever reason, Ishu and I decided, no, we love this so much. We don't want to sell it to anybody because one of the criteria was that if you sell it to somebody, they would want us to work for them for about a year to get them um, you know, settled in. And mm. having worked 35, 40 years independently, we did not want to uh, <laughs> yep. work for somebody else. And, you know, as I said, I was spending over 50% of the time volunteering my time. And I thought that if I sell the company, the guys may ask, are you crazy or what? You cannot do this. You have to work 100%. You can do your voluntary later, but not during office hours. Or, you know, we are, we are so flexible. We will give away five, six, eight, one day service free. And, uh, you know, the larger companies are so ROI, you know, sort of oriented. They don't want any time to be wasted or providing free service. So we did not want to get stuck in that situation when we had to listen to somebody saying, you cannot do this or do that. And we had done this for 40 years. We did not want to be listening to somebody guiding us. So we decided early on that selling will not be possible. So we had planned this uh, closure of our company for past three years. We were slowly um, going towards that end. And instead of you know, so we were pretty on target. You know, you have, I've been talking about retiring for several years and we weren't planning that, okay, we will slowly divest a lot of customers slowly by telling them and, you know, giving them possible uh, alternatives. 
And that's what we did. So we did not sell the company. We just closed the door. And all our employees uh, slowly uh, were told, we told them long ago that we, this is our plan. And most of them, or actually all of them, found jobs, found better jobs, actually. So we don't feel guilty about leaving the employers hanging out or anything. Uh, so we feel very comfortable mm -hmm. what we did. We are happy what we did. The employees are happy. So we are pretty much, uh, you know, satisfied with what we did and why we did. We also, uh, Joseph, took care of our clients. We just didn't leave them in a lurch or anything. Uh, we closed all our projects. We handed them over to, uh, you know, other companies, uh, built that relationship, made sure that the situation was comfortable so that, Alessa, as Ashok said, we've been planning this for three years. So the transition, we took it step by step, right? And now we feel really good that we did everything, uh, in our minds at least, you know, correctly. And, uh, you know, ultimately, Joseph, you have to live with yourself, right? I mean, mm -hmm. you have to look at the mirror every day and say, okay. And we both feel, uh, we both feel pretty, uh, pretty good about that. Uh, as to what I plan to do after this, uh, my passion has, to, you know, has basically been to work for uh, women's causes women's education. In fact, Ashok and I, we are doing that uh, right now in India where we are educating uh, farmers' uh, children in India and we are supporting them. And this is just from the educational point of view, but even uh, I plan to be more involved in uh, uh, organizations that support women, whether it is uh, you know, uh, abused women or anything like that. Uh, I plan to go uh, visit, you know, places like, uh, I don't know, I have this dream about maybe going to places like Afghanistan or Kabul or anything like that and doing something there or in India and furthering women's causes. So I hope that dream, uh, you know, will come true someday. Uh, but at least that, that's my goal. I love it. You two are the epitome of giving back to the community, lifelong learning, running a successful business, enduring changes, being a good uh, partnership. It, this has just been absolutely wonderful. And I've really enjoyed working with you over the years and look forward to uh, many more uh, collaborative efforts with you both. So we thanks again. We do. I have enjoyed working with you and hopefully we will still be in touch. <laughs> Joseph, I've, uh, Joseph, I know Ashok and you have worked more than me, but I certainly, we've been friends over the years. I've valued your friendship and thank you so much. Oh, folks, it's really an inspiration to have you on here. So it's, per it's a perfect fit for this Geo Inspirations column. Thanks again. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today on Geo Inspirations. That was Ishu and Ashok Wadwani from Applied Field Data Systems.